Hi, everyone. It's Jen Wall, And in this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with the president of Dynamic Connections, Steve Frankiel, to talk about how you can change organizational culture through leadership. Hi, everyone. It's Jen Wall, And in this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I am sitting down with Steve Frankiel, the president of Dynamic Connections. And today, Steve and I are going to talk about how you can change your organizational culture through leadership. And I'm so happy to have Steve with us because he knows and Steve knows firsthand what it's like to walk into a new organization and think, how am I going to fit? How am I going to take ownership? How am I going to be this new leader? And what does that organization need to look like? So Steve, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's really great to have you. Thanks, Jen. Pleasure to be here. Steve, tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you become the president of Dynamic Dynamic Connections? What did that look like for you? I think sometimes people think about how does someone get to that executive leadership level position and so many people take different paths. And so I'm so curious to hear what your path was like. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely not a typical path. Um, so it's uh, and certainly an interesting one as well. I'll start from the beginning to give um, to give listeners some uh, some color. So I was uh, I was an engineer originally by uh, by training, uh, studied at McGill. Um, never actually worked as an engineer, but it always framed uh, my thinking, my approach, my problem solving. So I really value that that training. Ended up working in consulting for a few years. Had a good experience, but realized um, I didn't want to really sit on the sidelines of business. So. From there, I was career transitioning, um, and I like to say I, uh, I snuck into Harvard Business School. Um, somehow, the, the admissions um, made a, a slight mistake and let me into the uh, let me into the program. So, um, had a really wonderful time in, at HBS for a couple of years, getting uh, getting exposed to lots of different disciplines. Um, and from there, I ended up going into finance. Um, into a discipline called the field called private equity, um, which is a field where you buy companies and work to make them better. Um, it was a really good fit for me because um, I had strong financial skills and it was still very entrepreneurial. You were working with entrepreneurs and helping them improve their business. Um, I looked at other finance fields um, and decided like public markets and and hedge funds. And that just felt way too far from entrepreneurs and business because even at the time, this was you know 15 years ago, I knew I had an entrepreneurial flair in me. I certainly, it wasn't going to happen at the time. I had lots of debt to pay off for school. So that wasn't going to happen. But um, I knew at some point I could end up being an entrepreneur. So uh, private equity was a really good way to build a career and build a skill set and, and, um, and see what it takes to build a successful business. So um, ended up doing that for a bunch of years, for about eight years, um, where we bought and grew a number of businesses. I worked with a number of entrepreneurs. Um, and eventually that itch or that flame sort of started growing. And uh, and eight, nine years later, uh, I decided to scratch it. Um, and I spent almost two years looking for the right business to buy. So I was oh, trained. Wow. Yeah. I, I was I was I was trained um, at, in private to look for a good business, and I spent two years looking for a good business. Um, I spoke to spoke and evaluated over a hundred different companies in the in the Ontario region, um, literally over 100, 120. Um, most of them I turned down, and off a cold call, 
I uh, discovered uh, Dynamic Connections and it was a good company and um, the owner was willing to listen and we got a deal done. And that's how I became overnight um, the president and owner of Dynamic Connections. Which is an incredible story. And I think we didn't even highlight some of the even challenges that you faced earlier on. Cold calling that many people to get it done. That takes a level of persistence and resilience that... I think I just want to acknowledge because that is a big deal. And many people might have been after the first few conversations, after the first few calls, is this really where we want to be? And that discouragement could have crept in. So what you did, it's just, it's fantastic. I mean, if I want to flip that back, you took everything that you were great at, your strengths, your experience, and you found the perfect opportunity to be able to let yourself shine, let yourself lead, and let yourself apply all of these strengths, experiences, backgrounds, and insights that you had, which is just an incredible feat. So I really want to acknowledge that because that's a big deal that I'm not sure everyone listening to this would say that they might have done the same thing because it's hard work. So I'm glad that you came to me. And I also did, I know we talked about this on the pre-call too, but Harvard. You know, I am not an Ivy League school um, grad. I know that there's a lot where I think, oh my gosh, it's Harvard, it's up there. But you also talked about how people had what we call imposter syndrome there, which I was so surprised to hear. I shouldn't be because I know that it's common. Can you tell me a little bit about how you were in this group of people that were likely hyper-competitive, ambitious, driven? How do you sort out your confidence in that environment where I feel like everyone looks like they're perfect from the outside looking in? How do you, how do you find yourself and find your confidence and voice in that environment? Yeah, listen, it's it's very true, Jen. You're absolutely right. A number of people, including myself, felt like they were the admissions mistake. And, you know, how do we actually get in there? So you felt like, you know, you look around like, you know, I wasn't supposed to be here. And, you know, part of it was like, yeah, I'm not supposed to be here, but I'm going to make the most out of it while I'm here. So, uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, it, you know, in some senses that um, that brings uh, that that sense of uh of appreciation uh, calibrates people very well to be a little bit more humble and um, and uh, and level and and level headed. So you know, lots of very very talented people, very diverse, um, especially for you know guys who are coming from you know what is a, a small town, what I call Montreal, not not a not not a, a cosmopolitan of some some of the rest of the world. And so it was a really really great experience and just. A, a really good personal um, development opportunity to experience lots of different types of successful people because it's not um, it's just not one uh, cookie cutter. Everyone was special in one in one way or another, and it's all almost sometimes you took some time to figure out. I'm like, oh, okay, that's how that person was special, and so it was um, yeah, very 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 cool experience. No, and thank you for sharing that. And for those that are listening, remember, if you are judging yourself, if you're not feeling as confident or if you're feeling like a fraud or what they or how they define imposter syndrome, it happens to everyone. You are not alone. I just have to say that because I think sometimes we might assume that the people at the top are the ones that maybe don't have it. And we just have to remember we all are going through it, especially if we're taking risks, doing something, challenging ourselves, which is what brought you to Dynamic Connections. Tell me a little bit about why maybe you're you were so inspired when you took over as president to inspire a leadership culture. Yeah, it was, um, in some sense, it was, it was out of necessity. Um, so remember when we spoke, so the person I bought the business from was an amazing individual, um, a true visionary leader. Um, but who was as different as, um, as I am, as you could be, you know, picture me, I'm a, you know, five foot seven, 
170 pound, relatively square guy. Um, and I bought, I bought the business from a guy who was six foot two, long blonde hair, drove a Ferrari and partied harder in his fifties than I did in my twenties. So, <laughs> so it, it, you know, it was a, it was really a, a, a real sort of tale of two cities dichotomy of one leader coming in after another leader. So, and we talked about it. Part of that was it almost made it impossible to lead for, for, um, at the beginning, because this was a, this was a, he was a very, very big personality where, um, when you walked into the room, there was no air left for anyone in that room. Um, so this was the type of leader that you really, you would stand behind him because it was clear that he was leading and he had a vision, he was leading in the wrong way. It doesn't matter. You didn't know it's the amount of confidence he was exuding. You were sort of following. So he had built an organization around him that way where there was a, a number of loyal followers and there was no air left in the room. There was no question who was the, who was the leader when that person stepped into the, the room and, um, and people were following sort of in, uh, in due order. What an intimidating I, place. I just have to say that because I would be intimidated when you observe that or just hearing that I can picture that presence and walking in and saying, okay, how do I actually how do I, you know, show them that I am here as a leader too? Like that would just be a, a very difficult place. Yeah, really difficult, Jen. You're absolutely right. In fact, it comes down to, you know, picture the first few months of this transition. I am, I'm trying to learn the business. So I'm not even an expert in this business. I've done a whole bunch of diligence and so forth. So it doesn't mean that I'd spent 10, 20 years in the industry. So I am trying to both learn the business, um, develop a rapport with people, um, lead the organization and still have this, you know, the former owner, they're sort of in the background where as soon as he's in the, he's in the room, there's no, there's no air left to lead. And he's the expert. He knows more about the industry than I do. So it was a very, very uncomfortable and um, uncomfortable situation for me because it was, it was virtually impossible to lead or to learn or to show vulnerability because I'm trying to learn. So it was very, very hard. And, and the, um, the key there, and we'll tell you know we'll, we'll talk about what I what I did in terms of uh, changing the leadership culture by necessity. But one of the key decisions I actually made, which some people would have thought was crazy, after I think it was four or five months, maybe four months, um, I asked him to leave, um, even though he was the college, you know, the godfather who had all the answers. It didn't matter. I couldn't grow and lead um, with that. There just wasn't enough air. So that wasn't an e easy conversation, but. Um, I asked him to leave because I sort of had some internal confidence that I would figure out the industry, but I needed the room. I needed the space. Um, and I needed the space to grow so that I can, I can, I can grow into the leader that the team could rally behind. So I needed that space and I needed that. And it was a, it was a very sort of, uh, uh, important decision. I remember my wife helping me through that decision, um, intensely, who's not a business person, but just sort of saw it for the, the way it was. And, and, um, and we got through it. And so we, um, at that four or five month mark, I still didn't know the business well enough, but I knew um, enough that I needed um, that I, I took the space back. Um, and then we changed the leadership style. And then we changed it from having one person um, with a voice to having um, one person with really good strategic vision. I've always had very good um, strategic thought and, um, and a good eye for opportunity, but I, I gave more air to other people um, who had the ability to take it. Um, part of me as an entrepreneur, um, what I'm good at is seeing opportunity. That's what I believe most entrepreneurs, op entrepreneurs are. 
um, there are people who see opportunity and do something about it. And what I saw was a number of people in the organization that had the opportunity to contribute even more than they were. Um, and so it was, it worked out very well because I, I, I changed the, the culture up, upside down from having a big L leader, um, to still, I'm still clearly, very clearly in charge, but I've empowered a number of individuals to be in charge as well in their own, in their own sort of unique ways. Um, and those are individuals that had the ability for that. And, um, and, and it's helped, it, it's changed the culture night and day to, to where it was. And it, it and it, it's good because I couldn't be the other person. I wasn't the, the, the big L personality the person that he was. I couldn't be that. That's not, that's not who I was going to be. That's not who, that's not how I was going to lead this business. But now we've got a number of people in their own sort of unique and special ways who are leading it with a, you know, a colonel and a bunch of lieutenants instead of a, you know, just one general at the, uh, at the head. I, there's so many points that I want to touch on there. I mean, First, because there are many people, whether you're going into an executive leadership role, whether you're taking over a company, or for someone that might be just going into leading a team for the first time, it can be a challenge to be able to feel like you have to, in some way, be the same as that person or replicate that reputation that they might have created. And it can feel a little unnerving, especially when you know you're walking in and you know they do have that rapport, reputation with them of respect and appreciation. So I want to acknowledge like that moment, but you also talked about, you know, getting into it, like what you did to actually transform the culture of dynamic connections. And I don't, how you described it made it sound, I think like it was so much easier than what it was, but you did it, you put in the work. So I know that that wasn't, you know, it was not that, I guess, like, yeah, we just did that. You didn't just make people leaders. Like there was a lot more of a conscious and deliberate thought process that came around identifying and seeing, okay, now that you cut off the security blanket, which was huge of after having that agreement with the former president and saying, you know what, I have to actually step up, be vulnerable and just, you know, put myself out there even more Then what was step two. So step two was then to look at your leadership team and the people in your company to say, are they really doing the, what they're meant to do? Is that kind of like the first place when we're talking about how do you change your culture? I think, um, I think one of the secrets of, um, of leadership and um, empowering is that um, people actually want responsibility. Um, I think we sometimes forget that. Sometimes you try to take responsibility away from people because um, you think it's a burden on them, but actually gives them purpose. Um, and so when you give people true ownership and responsibility, they enjoy it. Um, they give purpose and they, they very often, if they have sort of the basic skills, will rise up to that occasion. And so that's, that was part of the secret sauce where I could identify a number of people who had some basic raw skills. We gave them ownership and responsibility. We coached them. I coached them on decision-making. I didn't tell them how ownership to- so important. Like from your perspective as a president, why was it so important to give them that ownership? Because I, I believe it gives them purpose. Um, I believe that, you know, you know, entrepreneurs are a unique set of people that are sort of naturally driven by, um, the pursuit of, um, of success. Um, but most people, uh, um, need some sort of professional purpose along the way and having ownership and responsibility is, is purpose and doing a great job gives you that sense of pride and purpose. You, you leave your work feeling proud of what you've accomplished. And so when I, um, when I empower a number of people, to take ownership and responsibility, have real responsibility, real accountability, coach them on decision-making, 
because they were they 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 might have not have had the same um, structured thought process that I was trained with to make sort of thoughtful and um, and thorough decision making. Never made decisions for them. I really empowered them to make the decision, but help them coach them along the way. It made them feel really good um, about they, what they were doing, and and slowly over time um, developed some. Uh, a cadre of um, of junior leaders, and um, and again, this is in a context where remember the sub. I wasn't the subject matter expert. All my leaders knew more about transportation, about the technicalities of transportation, about um, our supplier base, about our solutions than I did. I wasn't. I didn't grow up in the industry. I was. A, I'm an outsider. I'm. I'm a. You know, I'm a. I'm a former engineer finance guy. So they all had more subject matter expertise. Um, I just helped them coach in terms of decision-making and strategic thought um, and basic blocking and tackling of business. I mean, I, you know, the one thing that I really respect is that it sounds like you were able to really lead by suspending ego. Like it wasn't about you maybe proving your natural strengths, talents, like why you did this. It was about you taking the backseat and maybe observing and listening and I think there are some people that would be like, what? That, you didn't have ego? Don't most executive leaders have ego? You need ego to lead, right? You need that to have confidence to your shareholders, to the people that want the organization to succeed. But I, I love that, that lesson in what you did, Steve, because it's such an important one is to sit back and just learn and not put the pressure on yourself, which I think a lot of people do in, as leaders to know all the answers, to have to know everything. I think a lot of times leaders think, well, if there's a problem or if this is going on, I should be able to know everything and have it in my brain somehow to be able to solve this or think strategically, however you want to call it. But you still gave permission to your team to say, I'm learning. That is such a difficult piece within leadership. And I, I just have to acknowledge that because that's a big deal. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think both those points are really important. Confidence is incredibly important. Um, arrogance and confidence are very different. Um <laughs> You absolutely need confidence. I, I needed the um, self-assured confidence to know that I was going to be successful leading this organization despite not being the subject matter expert, despite knowing less than some of my most junior people, but having the self-confidence to know that um, I was taking the company in the, in the right direction. So it takes a tremendous amount of confidence. It also takes a tremendous amount of confidence to sort of shut up and let other people lead and give them the opportunity to um, to grow. Sometimes even give them the opportunity to make mistakes because um, you have the confidence to know that you'll you'll repair those mistakes, but that person needs um, opportunity for growth. Um, so yeah, it, it, confidence is a, um, it's a really, really important trait. And it's also, you got to be carefully balanced between um, staying humble so that you stay um, hungry. Um, as an entrepreneur, there's, there's, um, uh, anything can change at any given moment. Um, companies that aren't moving forward, aren't progressing, are resting on their laurels, will find themselves outdated and um, and beaten by their competition before you know it. So you got to find a balance between staying confident and staying um, both humble and hungry. As Steve Shapiro is an author that we had worked with. And one of the things that will always stick with me that he shared is when the pace of change outside of your organization is greater than the pace of change within, that's when you're going to be eaten. And I love that message about staying humble because you do have to be attuned to what's going on. It's not about always being right or proving yourself, or it's always about having your ear to the ground to understand what's going on so you can make the best decisions. 
Crosshelm is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. Crestcom is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, Crestcom may be the right fit for you. We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at crosscom.com. Steve, let's talk a little bit about that transition. So you take over, you know, you you go for it on your own. How did you initially navigate this call or navigate this trans- transition to change the culture? Um, I think I uh, I built some very close allies um, right on the onset. Um, I identified a few people that were um, really important to the organization, and I, I invested heavily into those relationships. That means I invested a lot of my time to help further their careers um, with certain objectives that they had, um, certain uh, goals they were trying to accomplish. And, um, and so by me investing in them, um, v- very heavily, explicitly, and with good strategic thought, it built a very sound relationship, a relationship based on mutual trust. And so, um, to, to then, so all of a sudden, instead of being alone, right, instead of going in there, not having sort of any, um, any, any small team around you, I, I slowly had a, a small team of loyal and dedicated um, people that I was working together with. So, and from there it ended up growing and my influence started growing and, and getting more. So, but it was really trying to, at the onset, um, build a small cohesive team to build that credibility and build a group that eventually can, can, uh, that was able to rally the rest of the company behind. Yes. Which is, you know, that's what we need with change, right? We need the champions of change. And so your first goal, when you got in there, obviously, wanting to manage and maintain and grow the business, but then was really focusing on the relationships. You had also talked about starting with really playing to your strengths. Uh, What strengths did you lean into during that transition? Yeah. um, Like I said, so I am, um, I'm a good person. I'm good at seeing opportunity um, and being very strategic and then uh, executing. So like I mentioned before, the opportunities that I saw were almost some hidden talents with some individuals that I didn't think were actually getting um, getting tapped into. Um, I saw plenty of opportunity externally, but again, I had to build a really sound house internally before I really grow. Like the first year, uh, I barely uh, added value in terms of growing the business externally, working with customers. I didn't have enough knowledge base, but I did identify some internal opportunities with some individuals that had skills that could be leveraged in different ways there was that came from our software developer that has that now makes a tre- uh, has a tremendous impact on our on our company came from our controller who is a huge asset incredibly smart and analytical and has brought tremendous value 
both to the finance function in terms of the efficiencies there, but generally to the analytical capabilities of the organization generally. Um, our, one of my best salesperson had natural leadership skills. Um, he was an excellent salesperson and had some, some natural leadership, which is actually not very common. Most salespeople are um, better snipers than they are managers of others, but he was a natural coach. Um, so what is that, you know, that smells opportunity of hiring more salespeople under this effective sales leader coach who actually the, the prior owner saw little value in, um, and he's my, my, my most important, um, contributor right now. So, um, I was good at seeing opportunity, um, helping opportunities grow with some, some, uh, um, some, some coaching and some, uh, strategic thinking, um, some analytical rigor, um, and we developed um, we developed some people into some uh, tremendous tremendous talent. I it sounds like your ability to identify good or great or not so great business opportunities also extends into your ability to identify talent, which I just think is such a great strength, especially being willing to maybe look at someone that maybe others have not connected with for a variety of reasons, right? We know personality differences. It doesn't matter. There's we're human beings. We don't all necessarily get along, work together, play together in, in the best way. But you were able to say, actually, that individual, like, I think there's untapped talent. How in the heck did you develop the skill set to be able to identify untapped talent in people? I, it makes sense from a business perspective because you can take the metrics, you can look at, you know, what are what's the revenue, what's our expenses. But when you think about people, how in the heck do you do that? That is a true gift. Yeah, you know, that's such a hard question. It's um, it's just it's a lot of experience. It's having good judgment. I don't know that it's taught or learned. I'm not really sure. Um, part, part of it was having that, um, sort of analytical brain that can break pieces apart. Um, part of it means really intellectually curious that when you meet people, you're sort of trying to understand who they are, why they've been successful. And then you're trying to extrapolate sort of trends and, uh, uh, and patterns. I interview a ton and I love interviewing. I feel like it's a, it's a, um, it's like being a detective, trying to really get to know the person um, and trying to understand what makes them click. Um, it's a little bit of cat and mouse because the you know the, the I like to say the candidate's job, the candidate's objective going into the interview is to get the job. It should really be to figure out if it's the right job for them, but their only objective is to actually get the job. So they're generally giving you answers that they think you want to hear. So they get the job they get the option on the job. Your job as the interviewer is to figure out if they're the right fit for the job. So you need to decipher through those questions. So in the, in the years of interviewing and working with people, I think I've, I've developed a good judgment on, on people and their skill sets, um, a good optimistic judgment too, in terms of trying to um, see the best, um, but be critical in understanding what, um, what their shortfalls also not be blind to it. But I think it's hard to say what it is, but it certainly takes a lot of practice and a lot of, um, a lot of intellectual curiosity. I mean, you are using words and I teach leadership. I live, eat, breathe leadership every single day. And so much of what you're sharing, Steve, is music to my ears. I'm so happy to see that you are leveraging the strengths and not putting the pressure on yourself to be the only bright star in the room, right? We want everyone to shine bright because that means as a collective group, not only is our intelligence greater, but we're seeing different you know, opportunities, making more strategic decisions, solving problems faster, so on and so forth. But then just treating, being curious, you keep staying curious, which is something that at Crestcom, 
we do teach a lot to people, but it's not always innate for some. Sometimes it's really hard to be curious because the initial thinking, I guess, is that black and white, maybe they're good or bad or they're right or they're wrong. But yet it sounds like you were able to be curious in that, which there's so many things that I really admire about what you shared. And so I just want to acknowledge that because it's not easy. And you also are sharing it in a way that people might think like, oh, no, being curious with someone actually requires you to be curious and to sit down and observe and not make snap judgments that we might be more trained or conditioned to do. It's to say, where are they like missing? What are their passions and purposes? So there's just so much that I admire about what you shared in terms of that initial transition. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what your first year was like. So you're walking into the doors. We already know that you've parted ways uh, with the prior president. What were some of the big changes that you made upon like your first few years when you took over that leadership role? Listen, you know, my first year was probably the most anxious year of my life. Um, I um, I invested my entire net worth into this company. It, it was um, I, I was looking for a company to buy. Um, the, the the number one priority is finding a good company. Um, this was a good company. This was this was a company that was um, in a interesting industry um, with a very good processes, very good use of technology, a strong team. And in a fragmented uh, industry, so I identified the opportunity. Said, "Yep, this is interesting. This is good." Um, I, I, and from from the from the time I made that cold call to when we closed was six months. So for anyone who's done deals before, will realize that is a very very fast timeline. That's because I saw something interesting there, and um, the owner put an ask on it uh, on the business. I saw something interesting. And I basically hit his ask and got a deal done. Um, I was a finance guy. I never run a company. I never had a team uh, below me. I had some sort of innate confidence that I could do it um, with with some with hunger and grit. Um, but I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I explained to you the first few months of um, the first few months of uh, apologies, um, first few months of that transition where. Um, I had some stress with the prior leader. And then on top of that, I didn't, I didn't actually mention two months after I said goodbye to that leader, we lost our biggest customer. So um, let's paint the picture. You're, you're the, the big person in charge, right? The president, you take it over, you say they can leave. And then all of a sudden I want to paint this picture for our audience. You lose your biggest customer. This is the, oh my gosh, moment. Like what was going through your mind? There is... (laughs) As much anxiety as um, as you can have is uh, is it with sort of having bet the farm, um, still having not having yet a good handle on the business, um, and um, and lost the biggest customer, and uh, um, it was a very very trying um, time. Losing the customer wasn't any fault of our own. It was a little bit just a bad luck. Um, it wasn't a service failure. It wasn't a failure on our end. It wasn't being um, out one, it just, I would say to simple, simplify some, uh, some bad luck, a little bit of, of, um, of geopolitical bad luck, um, lost the biggest customer and said to myself, Whoa, I've got a problem here. <laughs> and, um, and that's where I just sort of put pedal to the metal and, um, probably hadn't worked as hard and uh, put in all out focus on sales. And I became a, uh, number one salesperson because um, that's what entrepreneurs do. They just do what needs to get done. 
and we were losing lots of sales. And so I became a salesperson and um, I went out and saw every single one of our customers, a couple hundred of them um, looking for opportunities to grow the business. Um, we bounced back um, we had a, you know, small customer end up being bigger than our largest customer that we had lost. No kidding. Uh, yeah. And through, through mining opportunities and, uh, and presenting really professionally, we took over some business and, um, they actually asked us to take over the business. We, uh, we mined it and then they asked us to take it over and, uh, we grew from there. So, um, that, that, that initial scare at the very beginning of a deal, which is very, a very dangerous, curious time when you have sort of high leverage and, um, and, uh, and debt service requirements, um, we got through it really through some plain old hustle. Like it was just some blocking and tackling, uh, hustle, amazing support. I had at home with my wife who was just sort of steadfast and support along the way. Didn't get nervous at all. Even though I told her I took all of our money to do this, uh, <laughs> which would make uh, me a little nervous. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'll tell you a great story about, about my wife. She's, she's been a, a rock that the, the, you know, the night or the, maybe the week before I closed this deal, I think we're, you know, we're out for quiet dinner. I just say to her, I'm like, Hey, you know, we're like, you know, I'm taking all of our money to do this. Like, I just want to make sure you're okay. She's like, you'll be fine. I'm like, I should like, you'll be fine. So, you know, having that confidence of, you know, your, your, your partner, um, in your corner, I can't emphasize enough how, um, how important that is. Um, and so we just got through it. It just took some hustle, really took some hustle. It made me much better because I, I literally became, I became a salesperson and a very effective salesperson, um, for that matter, because that's what the business needed at that point. And, um, and we grew out of it and we grew ever since. Um, we came, we came out of that. We grew past that, um, that loss and we've grown ever since we've gotten better as a company, tremendously better as a company Our our, our, our technology, I put up against almost anyone in the industry. I'm incredibly proud of what we've been able to accomplish. And I think, I think we, the, the future is brighter than the, than the past because we're, we're so much better a company than we were five years ago that I think we're going to see even more opportunities. So yeah, it was, it was a very, very challenging year emotionally, but, um, that's what happens with challenges. We all know you, if you get, if you come out the other side, you're going to come out better. And so that's, that's what happened to both me personally and, and to us as an organization. Yeah. You're, I mean, the bottom or the lows are always the opportunity to just get into the climb. And when you climb, like the top is that much better. So you decided to move forward. And one of the things that you did is you worked with Crosscom and you brought Crosscom leadership to your organization. Um, for those that are unfamiliar, again, with what Crosscom does, we offer a one-year-long leadership development program with debriefs and monthly coaching sessions. What made you think that that was going to help? Or what made you decide to pursue or invest in that or in leadership training? Yeah, listen... I think, um, you know, part of the, the secret, again, of getting your most out of your people is to invest in them and to give them opportunities to grow. Everyone wants to grow. Every time I do an interview with a new candidate, talk about growth opportunities. People want purpose in their lives and they want to feel like they're evolving as individuals and as professionals. And so the opportunities to being able to provide opportunities for growth in and of itself are effective because you're growing them because they're developing better skills, but it's also you're you're satisfying their desires for growth. So it's a it's a it's a it's a twofold uh, benefit. So um, finding ways to invest in your people is a is a is a constant strategic objective of ours. Um, we came across across uh, Crestcom and um, we love the concept and the format of um, teaching some core principles 
and then having them um, debrief together on them. My people still say I have two cohorts say that debriefs are probably better than the actual content because that's where they're really um, putting into practice what they've learned. And as we know, if you learn something, you don't do anything with it. It's actually really gone. Like if you right. learn something, if you learn something from a textbook and you didn't do with it, did, did you did it change your life six months, twelve months later? Unless you did something with it, it didn't. It might have felt good in the moment, but it didn't. So, um, so the sticking part of what we of what they learn is in the debriefs that I that I participate in. Where as a team, we've coalesced together. We 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 dissect some principles of leadership that are called pearls of wisdom, and then we actually put some practices in place. And that's what makes it stick and actually helps us improve as an organization. And a number of things I can point to across our company are have Crestcom written all over it because they were sources and they were, they were sor- ideas that were sourced through our, um, through our debriefs. Oh my gosh. Can you share some of those examples of maybe something yeah. that, of how Crestcom has helped your organization? Yeah. A, a number of them, the, um, w- w- the, the expression of, uh, promote, don't, don't, uh, Promote, don't pollute. We use all the time in terms of what comes out of your mouth. Are you promoting a positive culture? Or are you polluting? And to be sensitive of what, how we speak. Um, we do. We we do. Um, it's a, it's a, it's so obvious. I don't know how everybody, every company doesn't do it. We do a four o'clock Friday company wide huddle every week. Every week we go and we huddle the entire company. We're almost thirty people. Some people remote. Some people together. And uh, we talk, we talk about the results for the week. We talk about uh, strategic imperatives. We talk about what's going on. We talk about hires. People love, people want to feel informed. And we discovered some of that through our Crestcom that people had a, a very strong desire to be better informed. And we thought we were doing a pretty good job about it with our various communications, but it actually wasn't sufficient. And so we put in place a standing uh, four o'clock all hands huddle um, that, and that, we, that we do really fun things with like we sort of spice it up it's not always the same thing we have a sometimes it's a problem of the week that we have someone talk about what was the problem of the week and how did you resolve it because our life is problems in transportation sometimes we have the save the day of the week like who saved the day for a customer of the week sometimes we have a, the technology initiative that we're talking about the latest one we, we we dig into and explain it to people so it's been uh um that's been a, an amazing uh, and almost like silly that it's so obvious that, that we, we didn't think of it ourselves, but that was 100% what it's been. And we'll, we'll continue to do it. We continue to sort of spice it up. But to, to, to find a, a regular and meaningful and thoughtful way to communicate and keep your team informed um, has been a, a, a major difference. And, it was, and we did it before COVID. So you can imagine how important it was through COVID to have that, that discipline. Yes. My gosh, I mean, I am feeling like I'm having a you know, a leadership infatuation moment. I love what you did with your people, Steve, like a four o'clock standing huddle on a Friday. And I like even talking about the problem of the week and getting them to think about how, how can they also contribute to solving problems? How can they make revisions or adaptations to maybe streamline a process? I just love that inclusivity that you create. And again, I, I'm trying to draw out these themes just so people can hear that it's not it's not a just a, it wasn't just a huddle. That huddle is the opportunity to maybe bridge some gaps in terms of transparency or more communication. That huddle is the opportunity for people to feel seen and heard. That huddle is an opportunity to process our mistakes or the challenges of the week. Like, And so that's why I, you're probably like, why is Jen just saying this back to me? But it's because it actually is much more than what I think the average person might realize what that does. A standing huddle does so much 
much for your culture than what you might realize. And how long does that huddle take? And you do fun things with it too. Like how yeah. long does that huddle take? Yeah, we try not to have it go more than 30 minutes. Uh, we really try because we're sensitive to, you know, the people's Friday afternoon times. Um, and we try to keep it like, uh, keep it fresh. Like a, a company, an organization and a culture is, like I say, it's a living, breathing organism. It is, it needs food, it needs nourishment, it needs variety. Like, just like you can't eat the same thing every day, so does a culture. It can't take the same thing every day. So, you know, that what we do in the huddles now isn't the same thing we did a, a few months ago. Because um, you have to keep it fresh and still be pursuing the same call it overall strategic objectives. So, yeah, we do lots of different things. We do, you know, we, we, we used to do like the... Uh, during COVID, um, you know, during the height of the, the height of COVID, we were we were you know we were working in the office. We brought people back. We were wearing masks. We were sanitizing. We were socially distanced. Um, we we used to have you know a prize of the week for the person who um, the person who was the most positive person of the week ended up getting with the bell, you know, the bell of the week. And that bell, every time that person rang that bell, everyone would have to sanitize their hands. We were trying to make sure that everyone sort of stayed safe. So you had this bell going off and that person who held that bell had the, had that you know, control. So it was just, you know, a bunch of little sort of gimmicks to keep things fresh and sometimes just lighthearted, um, sometimes actual, um, actually sort of sound business continuous improvement principles and sometimes things just to keep things lighthearted and, and, um, and fun. So you gotta, you gotta find that balance, but it is, it is really, it's an opportunity to discuss, keep the team informed and, and, uh, and keep things fresh. Oh my gosh. I love that. Steve, what would be, so in closing, knowing that we have to wrap up, what would be your words of wisdom, right? We talked about a lot of different things in terms of what you did to change the culture in terms of, you know, being vulnerable, being, you know, curious, allowing yourself to not be the expert and allowing yourself to learn, leveraging people's strengths. What would be your advice to someone that might be new to leadership, new to taking over an organization? What would you say to them? Um, I would say, I think most people will be surprised at what someone can accomplish when you put them in a position, um, that you think they might not actually be qualified for. Um, I think a lot of people, um, cherish and relish the opportunity, like I said before, for true ownership, responsibility, accountability, and it actually gives them purpose. And I think we all can get surprised by trying people out and actually giving more, giving them more responsibility than you might think they can actually handle and watching them strive and, um, and, and live up to the challenge. I, I've seen that a number of times um, where a number of people have, we've tried them, we've, we've given them opportunities and, um, and they've stepped up. And I think it's a, uh, it's a win, win, win. It's not just a win for, it's a win for everybody. It's a win for you as a, as a, as an employer that, you feel good. You've given someone an opportunity for growth. It's a win for them because they grew into it. It's a win for the company because the company now has a more um, sophisticated and, and um, an empowered uh, individual. So I think um, giving people opportunities, um, you may not actually be ready for uh, actually um, more, I believe more often than not can, um, can surprise all of us. 
Steve. I very much appreciate your people first approach. I just think there's so much that other people can learn if they truly want to create a better culture, a more engaged culture, and just a place where people feel valued. Steve, how can people connect with you? How can they hire you? How can they hire Dynamic Connections? To help them? Uh, Tell me that. Yeah, yeah. If, if they want, you know, uh, uh, a little commercial for us, we have a couple hundred customers and uh, maybe two to 300. And I would say, Probably ninety-five percent of them will tell will tell you that we're the best company they've ever dealt with. So, um, if anyone wants to experience what best-in-class service is, they can reach out to uh, Dynamic Connections for their uh, the third-party logistics. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for taking your time. I know that you're busy, but just to share with us and also be vulnerable about the fact that hey, it's not always easy. It's a scary place because again, sometimes we don't get to peek into maybe the executive leaderships experiences and hear them in that way. So I just truly appreciate you sitting down and sharing with us and being open and vulnerable and talking about what we can do to create great cultures. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thanks, Jen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. It was a great conversation with Steve Frankiel. And if you want to connect more with him, you can head on over to dynamicconnections.com. Dynamic Connections offers cost-effective and efficient warehousing solutions to meet all of your inventory and fulfillment needs. It was a great conversation and I loved hearing about how Steve used leadership to change organizational culture. If you enjoyed this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service. And of course, if you're interested in changing your organizational culture through leadership, contact Presscom.com. We would love to help you develop your leaders.